Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG, and I have the great pleasure today of talking with and interviewing Mojgan Lefebvre, who is a Senior Vice President and CIO for Liberty Mutual's Global Risk Services. Now, Mojgan has a very big and just recently getting bigger job at Liberty. Uh, a recent promotion expanded her role to encompass the global specialty business, reinsurance and commercial insurance products, and Liberty's 2017 acquisition of Ironshore, which is a multi-line specialty insurance provider. Liberty Mutual, as, as many of the people in the Boston area know so well, is a number 75 company on the Fortune 100 list. It's been around since 1912. Today, it is the fourth largest property and casualty insurer in the United States, with more than $39 billion in revenue, and a presence in 30 countries, and a workforce of more than 50,000 people worldwide, about 4,500 of those IT professionals. Now, in addition to her CIO role at Liberty, Mojgan is also a lecturer with the MIT Sloan CIO Leadership Development Program, and she serves on the board for women in leadership, uh, women in insurance leadership. Before taking on her current role, she was the CIO for Liberty Mutual's global specialty business, and before that, the commercial market operation. And prior to joining Liberty in 2010, she was corporate CIO for Biomerieu, a global medical device company. Great to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Mary Fran. Great to be here. Let us start off by talking about all of these different business lines that you have under your charge now as CIO. When we talked just a few days ago, you were all about global specialty, and that is actually a whole world of insurance that most of us are not familiar with. We understand property and casualty and all that. So explain just a little bit about how your what your role encompasses now. Sure. So Global Risk Solutions really encompasses all of what was global specialty plus a, our large commercial insurance, mm -hmm. which is, as you say, the property, auto, workers' comp, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then what is our reinsurance business as well. So within the global specialty business, um, you know, I think of that as really very high risk um, that we insure. And those are unique risks that really large organizations and large corporations acquire. Mm -hmm. So it can be anything from the insurance that you get for your executives, for directors and officers, to um, unique things like errors and emissions, uh, to oil and gas. Um, and so really things that you don't hear about all the time. Yeah. So very unique, high risks. The volume is not that high. Mm -hmm. It's really each unique risk that's quite high of a risk. Okay. And what it gives a, what's an example of one of those highly risky things? Yeah. So, um, you know, again, we, we could uh, kind of do, do a insure kind of a large um, construction. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, you know, unfortunately, when 9-11 um, happened, mm -hmm. uh, uh, quite a bit of the buildings that were uh, insured were parts of some uh, of what we had insured. Yeah. So that that can be one example. Okay. Or perhaps, um, you know, airplanes as part of a, uh, um, a military force. Mm -hmm. so, so those are some examples. Okay. So these are pretty enormous, high-value sort of products and projects. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, the IT group that enables and supports all of this. Uh, one of the things I always 
like to ask CIOs about is how the IT organization has been evolving in the last few years. Sure. I mean, as we all we uh, as we all know, technology is at the heart of everything companies do today. It's a, it's especially true in insurance. And along with that, there is a an acceleration that has happened with the role that IT plays with the business. So talk a little bit about how you have been evolving the IT group because you've you've been in leadership positions for eight years now at Liberty Mutual. That's right. So I imagine eight years ago, things looked a lot different than they do today. That's right. So I joined Liberty um, July of 2010. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say at that time, uh, the IT group was probably seen more as, you know, a group that uh, was more siloed on its own. And there was a group uh, of individuals that sat really between the technology team and each of the specific functions mm -hmm. and uh, were to some extent the translators uh, between technology and uh, and the business. Okay. Um, I found that quite unique and very different from what I'd experienced before. I had always be, been used to having technology team members directly interact with the end users. Mm -hmm. So I saw that as, as quite different. And it was something that I kind of took on right away. And I said, well, why are we doing this? Why is it that every meeting I go to, I actually have you know, a business systems person and an IT person. Mm -hmm. So that is something that over time has evolved. And I'd say, you know, the evolution has been um, driven by different things. I would say the most effective and, and probably strategic driver of the change is our agile transformation. So yes. as we look at the world around us and as, as the world around us has become you know, very different with technology really changing the face of every business, mm -hmm. be it retail or, or manufacturing, insurance is no different. And we've seen technology companies enter even the world of insurance now. Granted, there are more on the consumer side now, but certainly they've started to also come into the commercial and the mm -hmm. specialty lines as well. Yeah. So to some extent, what we've told ourselves is, hey, if, if we don't disrupt ourselves, if, if we don't change the way we work, and if we don't let technology become really a big part of how we deliver our business and mm -hmm. how we innovate, um, someone else is going to do it to us. And so as a technology organization, uh, a couple of years ago, we truly said we've got to become a technology organization. We've got to become a software organization that delivers software the way mm -hmm. these s successful software companies like the Amazons and others do. Yeah. And so really the way we build software needs to change and we've got to be embedded in each of the business entities where we're driving um, the, the build of that software. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've started to truly align with them and, and really have product owners who are business people who mm -hmm. truly represent what we need to build. And so it's a complete uh, transformation that uh, we've been going through and we're still going through. Well, and I, I think what's interesting when we've talked about the transformation at uh, Liberty a few times, because you've spoken at some of our events in the past, right. I remember when you were running your first hackathons. That's you know, right. that must feel like kindergarten now because you've done <laughs> so many of them. Um, but the scope of the transformation and even the agile nature of it, it's not just, you're not just talking about IT. You're That's talking right. about other parts of the business. Um, that's always an interesting cultural change for any company. What are some of the things that you tried to do as the CIO and as a leader of the IT group to um, get the rest of the business involved in the, you know, the product owners in just sort of the whole, uh, the whole ecosystem around an agile transformation? So, you know, one of the things that we as CIOs always say is that 
a CIO is is not only a technology leader, but mm-hmm. we're probably first a business leader. And so you have to understand the business. You've got to yes. understand why you're you're um, leveraging technology and using technology. I'd say, you know, we've kind of come full circle where to some extent now there's a little bit of an onus on, on non-technology people mm-hmm. to understand technology a little bit more as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and to kind of own and be accountable for when we're building something. So it's not just about, you know, I'm going to tell you what and then give it to you and, and you're going to build it. It's We're going to work on it together and some of that prioritization and deciding you know, if I'm not going to get something, what I'm going to get will, yeah. will is also on some of the non-technology people. So, you know, I'm trying to make sure that my peers and others understand technology more. They mm-hmm. understand the roles that are within technology. They understand what they're accountable for and what they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. And that they're truly bought into the fact that they co-own the success of any technology uh, build that yes. we do together. Well, and I think that's, I've had so many CIOs talk about uh, the way the business just absolutely, their business colleagues applaud the idea that we're going agile because they're like, oh, well, we're going to get stuff much faster and you people are finally going to get on the stick here. <laughs> and then they're so shocked when they find out how much of the work actually involves them as well. That's it's true. I mean, like, in, you yeah. know, for the product owners, they we yeah. have to have fully dedicated or at least almost fully dedicated people yeah. from the business who are responsible for that. And it's not that we're telling them you become IT people. Right. But it's more, you know, you've got to be fully engaged and own the responsibility. Yeah. So that's that's very true. Well, it's nice, too, because I've always envisioned just sort of the bridge that exists between IT on one side and the business folks on the other side. And it's always seemed like IT is the one that has to go further over the bridge to engage. I feel like with the agile products and projects that I've heard described just recently in the last year, I feel like there's more meeting in the middle now, that that, there isn't, that there's an expectation on both sides that there's work involved. That's true. I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're equals. I mean, we're all, yeah. we're all part of the business. I mean, the yeah. old adage where, you know, we say um, IT versus the business. I mean, it is no longer yeah. that. It is, it is all, you know, we're all different parts of the business. And I think this really drives you more and more towards that, where yeah. you've got the, you know, the underwriting underwriter sitting with the technologists, mm-hmm. and they're talking, and they're all engaged. Each, you know, performing a different role, but they're all truly engaged. Well, and that that switch away from thinking in terms of projects and thinking more like products, yeah. I think is is probably it's a powerful undertow right now in IT, yeah. and I think it is bringing a lot of technology organizations much more to the forefront in their own companies. And I, just the way that we talk about IT and the rest of the business today is starting to change. I, I know some one CIO had um, he wanted to break his IT people of the habit of saying the business as though right. IT was off on its own separate right. island. So he had a jar and every time anyone said <laughs> us and the business or referred to the business, they had to put a dollar in the jar. Yeah, no, and, no. you know, they threw quite a few parties, you know, using the money <laughs> out of that jar. But eventually, that. yeah, and I've heard, um, I like the phrase IT and the rest of the business because right. it just it's much more joined at the hip for real. Yeah. Or sometimes yeah. I say technology people and non-technology people. Yeah, that's a so good way to cover to, it too. As, as opposed to now, the interesting thing, Mary Fran, is so Agile is not just about building a technology solution, right? I mean, right. you can mm-hmm. do many things Agile. And so in insurance, we've got a lot of insurance products, especially one thing about specialty businesses that we've got hundreds of uh, specialty products and, and our teams are actually quite innovative and they mm-hmm. come, our underwriters think of new insurance products all the time. 
And, you know, as they introduce those, they bring them to market. And so the great thing has been mm-hmm. they love the idea of Agile where they're like, oh, okay, so we don't have to take a year or two to bring an insurance right. product to market. We can think of it from a you know, a minimum viable product perspective yeah. and iterations. We can see something so, in a few weeks. Yeah. And then yeah. we can try it out. Yes. Um, well, and the, the fact that uh, everyone on the team has to come back with the customer input as well. That it can't just be a bunch of people in a room making up a product. I mean, That's it right. just, I think it's eventually going to revolutionize everything yeah. uh, for companies. I think that we're in the midst of that now. Uh, it reminds me of that William Gibson quote about the future already being here, but just unevenly distributed. That's I, right. I think agile transformations are like that for a lot of companies. Right. And, and I think yeah. the, the new software companies operate that way naturally. Yes. And, you know, every day they're, they're mm-hmm. making their interfaces better. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Amazon, every day, you use it, you're really using some things that probably didn't exist hours ago. Yes. And so that's what we're trying to kind of Mm -hmm. work towards and become more like. Yeah. Well, I think it's a terrific goal. Um, Like... Like many of the CIOs I interview, you don't play just one role. Um, among your many CIO responsibilities, uh, you're also the CIO for an acquisition last year, Ironshore. Right. So essentially you brought, uh, was this a startup? Tell, tell me a little bit about that business and bringing it in. I know you've been involved in startups back when you were with Biomerieu, but this right. is a little new uh, for Liberty. So what's sure. that like? So I guess in, maybe in the world of insurance, you can call it a startup, but it's a mm-hmm. $2 billion company. So I'd say, mm. you know, in general, it, I, it's not really a startup startup. But yeah. having said that, it's a very startup culture. It's um, ah. a very innovative culture. You know, they're not bound by, you know, some of the processes that as a much larger organization we may be. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, really kind of um, making sure that as we're bringing them into the fold of the company and our processes and our systems, that we enable them and give them capabilities and yet don't stifle that yeah. innovative nature. And, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a balance. It's yeah. it's a great balance. And, you know, these integrations are, um, they're hard to do because you've got to do it while the business is working. So you've got to make sure you don't yeah. break things. It takes a lot of planning, lots of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say uh, a lot of communication and really change management and making sure that everybody um agrees to things and holds mm-hmm. hands and, and is aware of what we're doing. So, you know, there are multiple things that we're doing. One is the infrastructure integration. We're ensuring that they're on our network and our mm-hmm. on all of our infrastructure and all of the capabilities that we have, you know, collaboration tools and everything. Um, that's, that's one thing that we're doing. And then there's the financial integration side of it to ensure that we've got consolidated financials and reporting and, and so on. And then mm-hmm. And then the rest of it becomes, you know, all of our systems. And that's the hardest part. And I think one yeah. of the things that we've learned as, as we've done integrations over the years is, you know, instead of looking for the perfect and looking for the best of each world, it's almost like best to decide that there's one ecosystem that you're going to go towards and go towards mm-hmm. that. Because the toughest thing becomes when you create these integrations where there are multiple data integrations back and forth and that can become really complex and that's where some of these things fail. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because so. some of the statistics about mergers and acquisitions and the huge percentage of them that don't work out the way everyone hoped they would, you that's know, right. it's, it's one of the biggest black eyes in the business world as a whole, how difficult it is. But And I think you really struck on what is often the missing piece there is the transparency and the communication and like all the 
the extra communication that you have to keep doing around it. That's right. And, yeah. and you know, you, you acquire a company for a set of things that it comes with. Yes. And sometimes I think once people acquire the company, then they forget and they try to change that. And I think that's one thing that Liberty has been really great at as we've done acquisitions, you know, Safeco mm -hmm. and Ohio Casualty were some of the earlier ones. Yeah. We, we've been careful and tried truly to maintain some of the capabilities and some of the positives for which we've acquired companies. Right. Okay. Well, I'm just remembering uh, that I forgot when I launched into my conversation with Mojgan that we are open for business on Twitter. If anyone would like to tweet in a question for Mojgan, we would absolutely welcome your tweets. Uh, it's hashtag CIO Online Live, and we have folks that are watching for it and will let us know. And so if you want to ask a question directly, please do. Okay, back. I wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about, uh, we were talking about, you know, the building a technology, a true technology provider inside of the company. And one of the examples of what you were able to do with that was the launch of WorkGrid last October. This is, in fact, it just won an award, a Digital Edge Award from IDG uh, that I guess you'll be picking up later this month at our conference, uh, our agenda conference in Florida. But I wanted to talk about the role that your group and the others played. And uh, so explain what WorkGrid is. So, so WorkGrid software is, it's actually a software company that we've launched. And mm -hmm. one of the first solutions that's in it is um, a digital assistant a digital that assistant, companies can right. actually leverage and mm -hmm. configure towards their needs, and it really makes life easier for them. This is a solution that came out of our central IT group, so it's not specific to my group at all. But mm -hmm. you know, I mean, certainly I work very closely with that team and yeah. have seen the great work that they've done. Um, the way that it came about was, was it was based actually on some work that that team did for ourselves internally within Liberty Mutual. Mm -hmm. um, one of the pet peeves that a lot of our executives had was the fact that, um, you know, they couldn't do a lot of approvals on their handheld devices. And as an executive, yep. you were really traveling most of the time, and it almost felt like the moment you would move away from your desk would be when all those yeah. approvals would come in. They're time sensitive, and so to to have a, to create a way where any of those approvals, be it an HR approval or mm -hmm. a procurement or anything like that, for it to come to one place, into one tool, and for you to have the ability to review and approve it was, was really, um, you know, it sounds very simple, but it was incredible, and mm -hmm. the team developed it. And again, they, they absolutely applied um, agile approaches to doing it. The mm -hmm. first version of it was very basic, very simple, but it did, it, it really answered a problem mm -hmm. that was there. And since then it's been um, increasing in capability. And so when we saw the success in the organization, uh, we decided that this was probably something that we could leverage elsewhere. And so in order to ensure that we kind of maintained that innovation and that startup culture, we said, hey, we can start a software company mm -hmm. uh, that would be separate and independent from the IT organization. And so this would be one of the first pieces of software that would go in it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the team's extremely excited to have won the award, and we're very proud of it at yeah. Liberty. Well, and is this, and I want to get into, um, uh, and this probably would be a, a great transition to talking about how you approach innovation at Liberty. Right. I mean, a company with 50,000 people around the world, it's not like you can just have 
have a Facebook page where everybody throws an idea <laughs> out. You know, there has to be right. some sort of structure. So talk about the way, uh, as the CIO, how you how you structure and prepare, how you get innovation going, both in the IT organization and connecting that with other parts of the business. Sure. And, and that's the great thing. Um, really, there is no one group that owns innovation per mm-hmm. se, yeah. which I think is quite powerful. Now, in order to start and in order to ensure that we created some centers of expertise, we certainly did have some um, efforts that were centralized, but now it's much more diffused than mm-hmm. in different parts of the company. So within the IT organization, we actually formed a group that was to come to come up with ideas and structures and and things that we had to do and probably more than anything to create a culture of innovation mm-hmm. and so this was um, two years ago that or two three years ago that that we created that group and so they came they came with multiple things that we did we we had um, efforts that we did with IDO the organization that's all about design thinking ah. and so we you mm-hmm. know we had our management teams that did quite a few sessions with that group and truly kind of learned the way that you need to think about innovation and, you know, mm-hmm. think about the viability of the ideas, that the feasibility and and ensuring that you're getting the input of the end users and, you know, all of the design thinking principles. Um, and then, of course, that's also where we established what we call um, Ignite. It's our hackathon and it's a mm-hmm. once a year, 24-hour event where we bring uh, dozens of our uh, teams from all over the world, both technology and non-technology people together and Mm -hmm. they have ideas and they they develop them and we've got prizes that go with that. But then we've got innovation that's happening across the organization as a whole. We've got um, our Solaria Labs, which is a labs team in a startup Mm -hmm. environment that truly focuses on disruptive technologies and and innovation and and they're they're focused on um, the um, v- you know vehicles and and um, autonomous vehicle technology mm-hmm. on the share, shared economy and connected home those are three areas in the insurance um, industry that are pretty critical and so we're trying to make sure that we're investing and innovating in that area and does this become something that teams are assigned to it and they can work on it 100% of the time or is it you know the the famous 20% of your time no these uh, are these are actually dedicated employees of solaria so okay. these are people that are truly focused and and employees of that organization yeah. because we feel like you know if if they're going to do that effectively it's got to be 100% of mm-hmm. their time within the IT organization we've certainly tinkered with the idea of having folks spend part of their time um, on innovation. To tell you the truth, we haven't really struck the kind of perfect decision. I know mm-hmm. there are companies where you hear every Thursday mm-hmm. or Friday or part of it is is innovation. We, we just feel like innovation happens. It's, it can't be, um, you, you can't have a specific day where it happens. Yeah. If people have ideas, I mean, we encourage them to bring them forth. And so hopefully as part of the hackathon and, and other venues, it'll mm-hmm. come, come through as well. We sponsor a lot of... Um, uh, accelerators like the Mass Challenge, TechStars, MIT 100K. You're involved um, in Hub Week and here others, in and we're involved with Hub, mm-hmm. Hub Week exactly. And then uh, we also also engage with startups. There have mm-hmm. been some startups that our company has actually invested in, mm-hmm. um, and and we really think of it as a way to learn from them, and then of course also create kind of partnerships between those organizations uh, and ours. And then we also partner with universities. We partner with MIT um, Age Lab and, and you know, are open to other kind of venues as well. Yeah. So there's a lot that the company does to ensure that we're innovating um, mm-hmm. all the time. Well, and one CIO I was talking with said that he, he didn't want to establish 
it's funny. I find CIOs fall into two categories. They're all, they either really strongly believe that innovation needs structure and deliverables and all those kind of project con, you know, constraints. Um, and then other CIOs that really would rather create an environment for it and encourage everyone. And one of the really cool ideas I heard out of that was to have a day a week where all meetings are forbidden. So <laughs> people get a chance, and uh, someone else said, you know, where uh, they take four hours a day and people stay off email and right. maybe do some reading and thinking and just kind yeah. of relaxing uh, into thinking about ways to make life better uh, right. with their IT. And I think that stuff probably has um, has more mileage on it uh, than the structures. A, a few CIOs I know who are, are more now the fans of unstructured innovation approaches had at some point in their careers dealt with very structured things right. that collapsed yes. under their own weight is what they often talk about. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's a constant, uh, kind of a, a constant wheel of trying different things. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's mm. it's a mix, really. I mean, w one of the things that we said was, as part of our innovation work stream, was it's really about creating a culture of innovation more than anything yes. and kind of making getting that mindset. And, you know, there are a lot of people who say, for example, Netflix and all the innovation they do, mm -hmm. it comes from the fact that they've got a culture where it's okay to experiment. It's mm -hmm. okay to to not, you know, for everything not to succeed. Um, to, to, to set yourself up in a way where you can try things out. If it fails, it's okay. You learn from it, mm -hmm. and then you do something else. And that's really that was also one of the drivers of why we thought it's about how we're structured, how we're set up, and this whole, you know, I keep going back to the agile transformation, but mm -hmm. I think there are so many things that it brings, and one of the things was if, if you are set up agile, you know, you're not always thinking of these multi-year, multi-million dollar investments. No. It's about small incremental steps. Yeah. and You're learning as times, you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so it just naturally results in a much more innovative type of, of culture and mindset and approach. I think that's a great point. I, I really do. Because the, uh, the fact that you've got people tech and non-tech people, mm -hmm. as you say, talking with each other yeah. is, uh, I, I remember a University of California professor that I thought was a, a brilliant lecturer years ago said that um, creativity comes from conversation. He was right. a great believer in just some little spark happening in your head as you're listening to somebody describe it. Right. And I see that happen in our events. You know, there'll be a panel discussion, and they'll get a question from the audience, mm -hmm. and you'll see someone sitting at a table that all of a sudden goes like this and starts writing stuff down. Right. And right. I love those moments because I feel like <laughs> that made their coming there for the day worthwhile because Absolutely. they just they had a new thought right <laughs> you know yeah, our brains sense. I had uh, someone use the phrase the other day time poverty and about yeah. how that one of the things he's struggling against is time poverty and so when you when you uh, I can imagine most managers would shudder when you think about the notion of like well take 20 percent of your time and do whatever you want <laughs> it's right. just well how do you actually find that right. so right. it's it's just kind of an ongoing struggle um, I wanted to loop back to um, a point we made when we talked about uh, the agile transformation, and, mm -hmm. and you said one of the interesting kind of outfalls from that is how IT planning and budgeting is different mm -hmm. now, and that's changing. So right. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, you said you were realigning the tech finance function uh, in ways that planning is different. So that's right. explain what you mean. Because again, so <clears throat> it's no longer about projects where, you know, in the past, all of our planning has been Okay, so let's see what are the list of projects we have and yeah. for each one of them, 
what are the resources, internal, mm -hmm. external, exactly how much it's going to cost. And it's always wrong, by the way, anyway, right? Like you're always, <laughs> you're always yep. estimating and the estimates are inaccurate and it's almost being accurate in your inaccuracy. And, that, and that's where those project statistics come from when right. researchers say 70% of projects fail and 85% ah, yeah. of them are late. And right. it's because everybody's guesstimating up front. Right. That's yeah. right. And then, and then regardless of how much you say these are estimates, people forget right. and they become very accurate. Yep. And so all of a sudden it's they're written in ink, not pencil. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. And so mm -hmm. because, you know, we're not manufacturing um, gadgets, so mm -hmm. you can't really kind of say, well, we, I know exactly this is how much it's going to be. Right. So now in the world of Agile, it's much more about software products mm -hmm. to which you've got teams. And, and so one of our philosophies is you want those teams to be as permanent as possible, to be together, because, again, you want the teams to learn each other and, and you're really oh, bringing the work okay. to the teams. So to some extent, budgeting and estimating becomes much easier, and we do hmm. it in increments. So, so you know, you can say, okay, so for this set of products, we've got two teams and, you know, exactly how many FTEs the team is made up of, mm -hmm. and that's your budget. And, and mm -hmm. so then we do the planning, the specific planning we do on what we call program increments, and they're on a mm -hmm. quarterly basis. And so at the beginning of each quarter, the teams, and these are the joint business and uh, non, non, you know, tech, I, I should say technology and non-technology or, you know, your other functions and the technology teams getting together and mm -hmm. really planning the specific capabilities that they're going to focus on as part of their backlog, their agile backlog over the next three months. Yeah. So really prioritizing everything that they're going to build. And then as we know, when you go to build software, some, you may think something's going to take a specific amount of time and mm -hmm. it may take a different amount of time. But again, it's the scope that may change over time, but so what you deliver may be slightly different, mm -hmm. um, but but really the number of people engaged and the cost of delivering that will be the same. So we're, we're trying to really align how we budget and how we control much more um, in with this methodology, and it's no longer about projects, but it's about teams and and what they're going to deliver and the metrics that you know that go with that well i was just thinking that people that are in graduate school and in mba programs and are learning project-based budgeting are right. probably learning a skill right. that isn't going to come in very handy in the future at, at least not on the mm -hmm. software um, yeah. development side now you know i have mm -hmm. to tell you um it is this is a huge mindset change yeah it's you know it's it's not about just the practices it's also even myself, I have to kind of keep thinking, I can't say how much is this project going to cost. Mm -hmm. And we've got to keep thinking differently. Uh, but, but you know, we're, we're changing the way we govern. Um, we no longer mm. have, like, so the way we used to govern investments and projects before was at the beginning when a project was going to start. Um, you know, we would bring the estimates and the business case in and we'd have an estimate and we would call that our commit one. And that was really mm. kind of like, our first level estimate, then when we would do the design, mm -hmm. and we'd have much more specifics, we would come for a commit to. So all of that is changing, and it's no longer about that. And hmm. again, it's about much smaller increments that get delivered within a program increment being a quarter. And and so it's it's the program increment that comes yeah. to our steering. And, and again, everybody understands that you know, the team will do their best and they're deliver based on the priorities of the business, mm -hmm. uh, but that it's not to the level of minutia that we would do before. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine how CFOs 
would feel about and react to this. That must be one of the mindset changes uh, that has to happen. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I'd have to say our CFOs have been fantastic in that they've truly listened and, and they huh. uh, buy into the um, agile transformation. Mm-hmm. I think that's been what's been very helpful is everyone from our CEO to our CFO and all of the organizations underneath, I think philosophically, absolutely believe in that. And it's mm-hmm. really working hand in hand with them that we've come up with the methodologies. The other thing that it changes is, you know, again, with agile teams, you basically support what you build. It's no longer about That's this right. team builds it not one and, and done. they gives yeah. it to, to another. And so mm-hmm. the whole measurement around how much do you spend on build versus maintenance also starts to go away because we used to measure that pretty uh, religiously where you yeah. know we'd say we want to be spending more on building and less on maintaining well it's no longer that philosophy it's mm-hmm. you're building something and when you build it you've got to take care of it you're committed so, to it and it's the same yeah. team and mm-hmm. and you know hopefully it also instills much better behavior in terms of quality because yeah. You're going to support what you build, so you'd better build it well. Well, it, it builds in the ownership of it going that's right. forward. That's and that's right. actually something that that's probably in you know the bad old days when it was business requirements came over the wall and IT worked on it for a while and right. showed it to the business people and they didn't want it. Things had moved on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that vicious cycle that everybody was in, right. it's turned into more of a virtuous cycle now that's where right. everybody's kind of got skin in the game. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's what... The more I hear stories about companies and what they're doing with Agile, I think it's such a great trend that it is it is way beyond being an IT thing, that it's right. it's definitely um, a really big part of how business is being done in the future. Right. Yeah. And I think we started learning it from the big tech companies. You know, yeah, the ones it's a that, software development yep, it's approach. It's a software development right. approach. But I, I've also noticed that a lot of organizations that were a few years ago very busy outsourcing their technical talent, right. now technical talent has a whole different value on it. That's very um, true. How do you tell me about your kind of recruiting and retention efforts? What are the sort of things you do as a CIO to to get talented IT people to want to come and work for an insurance company that was established in 1912, <laughs> you know, versus so, a startup? Yeah, yeah. I mean, great, great question. Um, yeah. You're right. I mean, you know, it may not mm-hmm. be obvious to people that as a software developer, going to an insurance company is exciting. But mm-hmm. I have to say, hey, we spend a lot of money on technology. And, yeah. uh, you know, we spend a one and a half to two billion annually in general. So mm-hmm. um, we spend more than a lot of companies. And, and I think once you know that, then you can get you more can than the start size to get, of a lot of companies. Exactly. Yeah. You can start yeah. to get pretty excited. Why? Mm-hmm. Because Data is really the most critical thing that any insurance company has. Yes. So ensuring that we're building systems that give you that data is, mm-hmm. is, is a big deal. We certainly have a big campaign to ensure that we are seen and understood as a uh, an innovative, um, technology-driven organization where if you come as a developer, as a as someone in the IT organization, you are working on exciting projects, you are building new things, mm-hmm. you're learning new skills, and you're truly at the forefront. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's very different from what one might imagine an insurance company being. Yeah. Uh, so we, we did a lot of work with our marketing organization in mm-hmm. ensuring that we're creating that brand. Um, I think when you go on our website, you see a lot of that 
look and feel. And then mm-hmm. we'll, we've also now made sure that we've got our teams, be it our engineers, going out there, speaking at conferences, mm-hmm. ensuring that people understand some of what we're doing. We've got folks who are really viewed as some of the forefront of um, technologies like artificial intelligence and and other areas where we're you know mm-hmm. we're t- totally um, investing blockchain I mean I you know I can kind of mm-hmm. like list a whole set of things that we're investing in and doing real work in um, and so we've got our people going out there and and we're seeing um, a very positive um, outcome from mm-hmm. people getting excited and and really understanding and coming to us. We are competing in some cases with companies like Google and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, there are some instances where, you know, for multiple reasons, someone may actually choose to come work for us and, mm-hmm. as opposed to another company. So, you know, we, we can still continue to improve and, and get better. And um, mm-hmm. but but, you know, there we've done a lot um, in this front. And yeah, very excited that we're, we're going to do more. Well, let's well. let's talk a little bit about those um, emerging, exciting technologies that come up a lot: robotics, augmented intelligence, machine learning, right. um, blockchain. Um, what are, do these uh, doing work with these technologies? Does it fall in your innovation efforts, or is it woven into the fabric of various parts of what IT is doing? How do you figure out where that all lands? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think of it as it, it depends. So um, first of all, with, with every single one of these technologies, our goal is you know to leverage them as much as possible mm-hmm. with the goal of having our um, employees, um, you know, all of our employees, to truly focus on much more value-added work. And if there's anything that is repetitive and so on, we can leverage technologies to do that so that our employees are really doing the exciting where the the analysis and, and really where the human brain is required. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the, the, the one thing. This is, this is really what we're doing. And so RPA, for us, that's a much more basic type of technology. And mm-hmm. that's something that we're using where maybe in the past we had our underwriting assistants put data into multiple systems. Well, We've now leveraged RPA in multiple places where we're, you know, we're kind of taking that rote work that they hated away from them, yeah. and now they can really focus on their underwriting job, and and we're we're having Blue Prism or other kind of mm-hmm. RPA technologies do this. Do and this RPA for them. is robotic process automation. It's robotic process automation. Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent, you can say some of the technologies have been around for a long time. They have. When we yeah. talk about automation and IT, sometimes I see the, the CIOs kind of rolling their eyes. And they're like, this yeah. again. You know, we've yeah. been doing automation. Yeah. But it's it's automation that is truly happening much more in the background. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. In, in a way, it's kind of like bat jobs that are running yeah. in uh-huh. the background. And um, you know, if, if you can define it and um, it's repeatable, then mm-hmm. you can have a program that's running in the background 24-7 do that instead of having to involve a human to, to do it. And, you know, it's nothing mm-hmm. that they're really using their human capabilities for. Right. Um, so it's replacing some of those things. And that's what RPA is. Now it's getting more and more sophisticated where now mm-hmm. there are some some more kind of like cognitive capabilities that are getting added to it. Um, and, and we're experimenting with that. Mm-hmm. To your question of like, is it part of the kind of the fabric of what IT does or is it innovation? Yeah. I'd say, you know, it's a mix. Okay. We certainly mm-hmm. want to make sure that before we commit to, hey, I'm going to use this to solve this business problem that we've actually played around with it. So mm-hmm. when it comes to a new technology, we always do a proof of concept um, to ensure that we, we kind of prove out that things mm-hmm. can be done. So 
we've got proofs of concept going on. So, you know, one could say, well, is that innovation or is that, well, it's kind of like both, right? Mm -hmm. It's innovation towards learning so that we can actually really use it. Yeah. Um, and, and then there are some instances in which, you know, where our um, technology partners come to us and um, they, they want us to uh, start learning some of the technologies they have. And we may not necessarily know right away what the business use case is, but mm -hmm. we know that there is some. And so sometimes that's where we do more of an innovative kind of proof of concept with them, again, you know, with theories around the possibilities of, of using those. And, yeah. you know, in the artificial intelligence realm, I mean, we've got access to a lot of data. And so we mm -hmm. know that our ability to mine that data, whether it's text mining or other things, you know, is 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 really can be very strong, and so we're mm. we're experimenting with lots of different types of um, technologies, from artificial intelligence to others, to mm -hmm. to try to learn and and um, yeah make advancements. Well, and I was um, uh, interested in uh, it when I think of people that have absolute lakes and mountains worth of data, you do tend right. to think of financial industry That's and right. insurance industry. Um, and I think when we talked before, you said within like global specialty, when that was the one you were running, right. you didn't have a chief data officer in that unit. But right. what is what is Liberty's overall strategy for mm -hmm. data and uh, kind of your your own way that you parse it out. Do you have a separate data analytics? Is there a chief data officer somewhere who's in charge right. of all the strategy? How do you set your data strategy? I, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, it, I would say it's each of it is specific to our business entities. And now, of course, okay. you know, now with our um, new business entities, it's going to start to morph probably a bit more similarly within each of the entities themselves. We mm -hmm. don't have a general um, kind of strategy outside across the entire organization okay. for that mm -hmm. because we believe that data is very specific to your business and so we want to make sure that it's as close to the business and the business problem um, oh, okay. as, as possible. Now, do we have a chief data officer? No. I mean, I personally mm -hmm. kind of like don't necessarily believe you need a separate chief data officer because I'd mm -hmm. say, you know, okay, well, your chief information or technology officer kind of to some extent, you know, what you're dealing with is data. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, having said that, of course, we've also got the actuarial um, kind of side of the mm -hmm. house as well, right? So data yeah. and numbers and things like that for us are, are a big deal. In, in many of our uh, parts of our organization, our actuarial group has analytics teams and, mm -hmm. and people that you might consider data scientists, although, again, that term has different meanings, but, you know, people who are well, the truly... the minute you give them that title, you have right. to pay them a half a million dollars That's a year. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, so there are, like, yeah. data analysts who are truly experts at mm -hmm. taking data and analyzing it and, and driving business decisions from it and, and building models that mm -hmm. really can help, whether it's with pricing or deciding if a risk should be written and things like that. So we have analytics teams mm -hmm. and we've kind of gone back and forth on should those be centralized in one place and, yeah. and service the different business entities mm -hmm. or should they actually be within the entities? I think as we started our very big focus on analytics, 
We said, let's centralize it so that we build the center of expertise mm -hmm. and capabilities, but with the goal to absolutely then embed it in the business units because we firmly believe that these things need to be tools that mm -hmm. our um, underwriters and our actuaries really have at their hands and, and we don't want it to be dictated from somewhere else. Right. So that's kind of the approach that we've taken. Well, I had a, a big in-depth conversation um, last week with a whole group of, um, it wasn't just CIOs, it was a mixture. There were some data officers and various people involved and it all kind of centered around the differences between data strategy, data governance, data right. data quality. It was, you know, they were saying is is just having a data governance approach, mm -hmm. how that was different from having a data strategy. And one of the questions I asked the group, I said, is there an enterprise data strategy that your CEO and your business unit leaders could name right out? You know, like a co companies mm -hmm. always have like a, we have a customer strategy and it's this. Is right. there a need for a data strategy? And it, when I asked the question, there was really kind of crickets in the room. I mean, nobody, <laughs> you know, people were like, why would you want a data strategy? What you want is a business strategy that is enabled and driven by the data that you supply to it, right. which I, probably I, makes more sense. I yeah. agree. I yeah. agree. Um, you know, because again, a data for depending on what, what question or what business mm -hmm. problem you're, you're answering, um, like is, is supposed to be an enabler really. Right. And we want, we want data driven decision making everywhere, whether yeah. it's about the customer or about our suppliers or about mm -hmm. our agents and brokers. Well, and with, with WorkGrid, with the creation of your own software company, you now have right. a data-driven revenue stream that's that right. comes from that. That's and right. that's, you know, I always want to yell bravo for that when, <laughs> when CIOs have that going um, because you can finally talk about IT as something other than a cost center or that's an right. enabler. That's it's, right. it's a great trend. It's a great trend to see. What, how have the customer expectations around the data that they can get from Liberty, from your various business entities, how has that changed in the last year or two? And can you think of any examples where customers are enabled to do something new and wonderful with sure. data that maybe three years ago you wouldn't have given them or given them access to? Right. I, mean, I would say customer um, expectations in the world of any business have mm -hmm. probably changed just because of what's happened and because of the fact that there are companies that give so much to the consumer that mm -hmm. the expectation is, well, why wouldn't it work this way? That's right. Why can't I go to mm -hmm. my website and go into my account mm -hmm. and see all of my policies, understand my invoice and, mm -hmm. and you know, see everything? Or yeah. why can't I, if I have an accident, be able to just take a picture of that and then send that into my Right. Um, insurance, in. yeah, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. and then get an estimate, or, or mm -hmm. if it's like below a certain amount, have it happen as a transaction without having to go in and yeah. take my car and so on. So again, a lot of what I'm telling you certainly is much more relevant on the consumer side mm -hmm. because because indeed that side is the most advanced, and that's where you're dealing with your end consumers, right. and the expectations are high, and mm -hmm. and our consumer organization is absolutely at all times looking at that and continuing to improve and do more mm -hmm. and and some of you know what I just told you are absolutely services that are there and 
more and more are getting introduced mm-hmm. and um, and and you know we're com- we and our competitors are doing the same yeah. so it's not like you know if we do it we're the only one i mean it's just happening um, all the time yeah but, well and and the yeah. the startup areas the insure tech uh, right. those little companies right. cuz i've i've heard you i've seen you quoted many times talking about the need to disrupt ourselves before others disrupt us that's it's right. kind of like the new golden rule isn't it that's right um, that's right the um, what are the sort of, uh, when you look at what the startups are doing in the insure tech mm-hmm. area, what are the uh, the places where you're most interested, where you look at it and you say, well, that's a, it's an interesting approach to it. And oh, by the way, we're doing a little something with that. I mean, you yeah. know, like what are kind of the parts that you're really watching closely? So, so one of the things that we're seeing is that even in the world of commercial insurance or specialty mm-hmm. insurance, a lot of the agents and brokers for the smaller products, like um, they, they do want to possibly come, go to a website, like an Amazon website, but like mm-hmm. go to the insurance company's website and answer a few questions and, and really kind of like get a quote. Yeah, They don't want to have to every single time have to call or email an underwriter and mm-hmm. go through a long process. Yeah, And so that's an area that we're watching. We are absolutely uh, launching a few of these broker portals. We've done some of them very successfully mm-hmm. with a lot of great feedback from agents, brokers, actually engaging them um, in the process. One of the things we've learned, and you know, I'd say it's something that we certainly saw with some of the insure techs, was the simplification of some of the decision making. Again, instead yeah. of the asking hundreds mm-hmm. of questions, can you ask ten key questions? How about leveraging a lot of the external data that exists? A lot of like, mm. if maybe if I know your name and your your first and last name and something else, then your address and other things I can get from external data sources without having to ask you. So really making it much easier mm-hmm. for people to do business with us. I say those are some of the things that we're watching and and we want to make sure that we're you know aligned with the trend and to the extent that we can be ahead of it and introduce it, we will. But sometimes mm-hmm. also you want to make sure you're not ahead of the time because as much as you try, I mean, that you know, the customer's got to come with you as well. Yeah. Well, I, I know the, the pull proof of concept and that, you know, that agile approach where you get out in the field with things. Yeah. I had a conversation with a CIO of a big restaurant chain, and they were watching smaller restaurant companies were doing um, things with iPads that they would set up, right. you know, the, in some airports, you can order right on the mm-hmm. iPad. So they did a, a, you know, they tried it in about a dozen, they have a chain of like 175 restaurants, but they were kind of leisure, finer dining. It was a little right. further up the restaurant chain yeah. than what you find at airports. Right. And so they tried it in a few places mm-hmm. and discovered right away that the customers didn't want that. You know, yeah. they, they were coming yeah. to a nicer place because they wanted the better wine list. And That's right. they wanted to talk to the server. They didn't want to be poking mm-hmm. around in an iPad. Right. And right. I thought that was a great example of getting out there and trying something because they were seeing various competitors trying it out as That's well. That's right. Yeah. I would say we've become more... Um, um, I guess, uh, you know, not being afraid of, of trying things out and mm-hmm. saying it's mm-hmm. okay because you're right, your your customer will tell you. And so one example of something we launched was insurance for people who are taking um, snow trips. So I, if I'm not remembering the naming correctly, mm-hmm. I think it was called Snow Chaser or something. Oh. We, we launched it. We put it, we made it an app that was easily accessible. Oh, smart. We kind of like had three, four questions that they had to answer. And, and it actually was fantastic. We got a lot of feedback as we mm-hmm. launched it. And then we made the product 
product better. So I'd say we're becoming more courageous in how we're yeah. leveraging technology because it's much easier to launch something now than it might have been a few years ago. So it's okay to do yeah. it and and um, and learn from it and then continue to make your product better. Snow chaser. It sounds like a weather <laughs> app, but That's it right. wasn't. It had. No, what did it have was, to do with insurance? I think, I, well, it's insurance for a, a travel, a, a trip oh, that you're. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. For yeah, when you fall so and like, break your leg skiing, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, or, or if or if your trip gets canceled. Yes, or something yes. Like that. Oh, yeah. interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, and I was, uh, when we were talking earlier, I was interested in a, uh, maybe an example of something that, that was a digital product launch mm-hmm. that shows shows the end result of the kind of work that you've been doing in IT. And we talked about the accident and health portal, the A&H portal story in Australia. That's right. Uh, tell me more about that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a couple of years ago, our Australian team came to us and said they wanted to enter the $240 million A&H business. Mm-hmm. And there was an opportunity because some players had left that industry and they, they, they were like, we need to enter. And by the way, it needs to happen within the next four to six months because that's when the renewal season uh-huh. is. So it's not like we need to launch this. You know, you've got a year so. Yeah. We need to launch this. And, and oh, by the way. Technology is an absolute integral part of it mm-hmm. uh, because this is one where the agents and brokers absolutely depend on coming to a portal where they place the business and oh, okay. they don't want to be interacting with you know with right. the underwriter all the right. time. They want it fast, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, they came to us once the business um, case had already been approved by the president, so it yes. wasn't like. Oh, tell us if we can and we'll incorporate this wasn't it in a the proof business of concept. Case. No, yet. this was like we mm. need to do this. Yeah. And so it was funny because that was just mm. when we were starting to truly like fundamentally think about agile and doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also coincident with with our uh, move to the cloud and really leveraging um, a lot of you know Azure or AWS and other cloud partners. And so my team evaluated the options that we had. One was to go out and buy a package software that was out there, except the word on the street was the package solutions none of the agents and brokers were happy with. Plus, they were very expensive and took a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one was to leverage some of our existing platforms. But again, we knew that, you know, those were built on old technologies and they couldn't do a lot of the things that we wanted. And so really it came down to we've got to do this with new technology. We've got to build it and we've got to do it agile. And I was like, you guys Mm. are crazy. You know, you're you're taking this thing and you're kind of like almost choosing the highest risk Mm -hmm. option. But the, the fact was none of the other options would meet the timelines or at least even had a chance of meeting the timelines. But that was one of those highest risk, highest reward yes. situations. So if it worked, yeah. it would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, we just had to mitigate the risks. Mm-hmm. And so we partnered, the team partnered very closely with the chief underwriter who'd been hired for ah, this business. He okay. knew that the technology solution was absolutely critical. We sent mm-hmm. a couple of our developers to Sydney and they went out and started talking to the agents and brokers. This was mm-hmm. the first time that the IT team was like literally sitting face oh. to face with the agents. And yeah. they were energized. They were like, oh, my God, like to hear them tell us what they wanted and what mm-hmm. was key to them. And so they they did the the framing for a couple of, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And then we formed a team. And, and then at that time, Richard, the underwriter, he mm-hmm. actually went to Belfast, where the team was was based, and he mm-hmm. spent a couple of weeks with the team, and so you know they built the epics and the user stories, and they prioritized them. And so you know to make the long story short, literally within two three months, we had you know, the the first product available. They did 
I mean, they did amazing things during this time. This team was able to make decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. They on their own decided that, you know, instead of doing the portal first, they do the underwriting platform first because that would allow them to do it in time. So, you know, okay. the ability to make decisions mm-hmm. quickly with all of the decision makers within the team was just absolutely um, valuable. And so, yeah. and then and then post that first product and they added the other products. And so literally within the six months, we had all three product lines mm-hmm. within the A&H um, solution in live and, and, and really in place for the mm-hmm. agents and brokers. The beauty of it being that the strike rate of quote to bind was like double the uh, competitors. Oh, so you so had a, they had built yeah. a solution where they truly listened what the needs were. It wasn't rocket science. It was about truly having that direct interaction, understanding what they were looking for and then building mm-hmm. it and reacting to it. Um, and 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 so it, it was just really, and then there was real time rating and quoting, which was again unique to the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was truly a, a success. It, it wasn't um, easy. It wasn't easy to change the mindset of all the people around, you know, mm-hmm. who wanted reports and governance and so yeah. on. But kind of having Richard truly bought into it and engaged with the team yeah. was absolutely invaluable. And so, um, well, you a got great to kind experience. of practice what Agile preaches. Yes, it's just yes. you know, and yeah. also the metrics you got out of it were genuine business metrics that everybody cared about. They were, they were. Yeah. And so it, you know, it didn't matter if people said, "Well, but you told me I would get this and I didn't get it," and it was like, "Yeah, that's right." Yeah, um, maybe you know, the next iteration. It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, wait you know, twenty minutes. They had like thirty <laughs> yeah. releases within a matter of. Um, months and so it was just a very different way of working that's excellent that's excellent well you mentioned uh the cloud and i was curious about how your cloud strategy has been evolving i think you told me you've got about 27 percent of all your compute power in the cloud is that for your units or for liberty as that's for my unit that's That's for for your unit for my unit or at least my unit when we spoke and i've got to go back and (laughs) reevaluate i know now that you have a bigger unit (laughs) yeah um and you're looking to double that in the next two to three years. That's right. Really, yeah. as, as we, we look at, you know, where our a- applications should be, where our focus should be, again, we want to make sure our focus is on building business capabilities. And, mm-hmm. and so things that other companies can do better than us and, you know, cloud companies and, and, yeah. and other things like our infrastructure and data centers, we think that over time, we can have all of those, you know, as much of our um, applications be in the cloud and, mm-hmm. and and no need for us to necessarily have as many data centers and large data centers as yeah. we have. Yeah. And really our focus should be on business capability. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is that, you know, within the next two to three years, uh, we're, we're striving to have 50 to 60 percent of all of our compute in the mm-hmm. cloud. And so we're certainly starting with what we're building new, but we're also migrating some of what we have. We're being mm-hmm. very thoughtful because we don't want to just move to the cloud just for the sake of it. Mm. We want to move things that we think have longevity and, um, you know, they're not going to be retired over the next two to three years. Right. Um, yeah, within global specialty, we have 27% of our compute already in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And we're aggressively working towards um, getting that number to be well. Higher. And I remember the initial vendor pitch on all of the cloud movement was how how much money it would save everyone. And of course, that turned out to be pretty much untrue. But what it what it does is it speeds time to market, new right. applications. Right. And I've run into so many CIOs who say everything new we do we do in the cloud, and we don't try to drag the legacy there. So, Abs- yeah. Absolutely, and and really. Um, 
Of course, there's no excuse for us for it to be more expensive because that wouldn't make right. sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to do the apples to apples comparison, of course. But but really, it's not necessarily a cost play. More than anything, I'd say it is a performance and agility play. More mm-hmm. than, and and for us, our Asia Pacific regions where we didn't have data centers very close to them were ones that were suffering with some of the performance of our applications, and so. Mm-hmm. With the advent of AWS, you know, right beside them, I mean, some of the performance of some of our applications, especially our document management applications, have have mm-hmm. you know truly improved in a huge way. Yeah, interesting. The um, I wanted to uh, switch to just sort of more of a personal query. This is you've been at Liberty as a CIO for eight years now, which as uh, you know anyone who's ever read CIO magazine in the past knows that the average industry tenure is about five years. That's so right. you've fallen into that category of CIOs that I think of as the longevity group. You know where oh, yeah. you've been with the company and your role has been expanding there. And I w- just wondered if you had. Um, how you've seen your own role change over time, and if you have advice you could offer fellow CIOs who would like to settle in for more, they'd like to get into that longevity club (laughs) where you stay in a role for several years and, uh, you know, obviously have more expanding business responsibilities. So what are sort of your own, your CIO wisdom is what I wanted to tap into a little bit. You know, I'd say mm-hmm. as with any, I, I would think as with any role, really, like there are some things that are table stakes. So mm-hmm. clearly you've got to do your job well. You've got to be viewed as yeah. you're performing and then some because mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, it's kind of hard to make up for that, right? Yeah. So The foundational stuff has to be right. flawless. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and 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 operationally things got to work. And then it's only when, once that's working that then you can focus more on the, okay, what what additional business value? What about innovation? You know, mm-hmm. what about um, agile transformation, etc. Um, and and then I'd say, you know, it also comes down to relationships. I mean, again, mm-hmm. we're all humans, and so ensuring that those relationships are there and that people uh, know you for for what you do, but for who you are, and and ensuring that those are strong. Because and mm-hmm. I say that really to anyone where where they say, you know, how do we how do I make sure I succeed? And I'm like. You know, mm-hmm. you've got your performance currency is kind of like a table stakes and it's a given. Yeah. Certainly ensuring that you've got the right relationships and that you do for others as much as you can because you never know when that's going to come back and really uh, become something that you can count on. Yeah. Um, but I'd say staying close to the business, truly being there and not thinking of yourself as just the CIO, although Juno, just the CIO is a pretty big responsibility. Mm-hmm. And but, it keeps getting bigger. Right, is the thing. right. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but truly thinking of yourself as a leader of the company. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I say that to my team. I, you know, I tell them, I don't just expect from you like your specific functional responsibility. You're a leader on my team, so contribute yeah. when and where you can and, and raise your hand. So mm-hmm. I'd say all of those same things apply. I mean, Liberty's been a fantastic company for mm-hmm. me. I've enjoyed it. It's also about enjoying what you're doing. The great thing has been there have been new challenges and yeah. every few years things yeah. have changed. So that's kept it very interesting and exciting as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that, you know, that comes into play too, right? That has really helped. enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. Well, once the IO said to me that he thought that it was very important that once you get a seat at the table, you don't sit around too long. Like, you know, don't just <laughs> stay right. there at the table enjoying how fabulous you are. 
get out there and strike up those relationships and work really hard kind of across the businesses. And I think we are just about out of time. The last thing I wanted to ask you was on keeping up with technology trends and all the changes in the industry. How do you do that personally? How do you kind of keep aware? What is your just personal approach to yeah. continual mm. learning? <laughs> read a lot. I mean, okay. for sure, you've got to read a lot of the mm -hmm. um, trade magazines. I mean, you know, I read a lot. I try to read a lot about insurance, but then also read a lot about technology. Yeah. And then leverage your teams. Uh, I, you know, I've got kind of these um, multi-hour technology deep dives that I have my teams organize on different oh, topics right. and mm -hmm. they bring those expertise to us and and I ask my entire leadership team extended leadership team to attend and mm -hmm. and to learn and and then you know go out when when you can um, attending conferences when you can I mean you've you've got to be mindful obviously you mm -hmm. can't go to a lot of things but or send your teams out and make sure that, that you're talking to them. But okay. I'd say, you know, a combination mm -hmm. of all of these things. Good. Well, I would say you just mostly mean come to my events. Once you come to my events, you'll have that <laughs> all covered. Um, right. Thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed Thanks, getting a chance to talk about all this. And I want to thank our audience for sticking with us for our CIO Leadership Live with Mojgan Lefebvre from Liberty Mutual's Global Risk Services Business. We will have a uh, copy of this. The video will be posted by tomorrow on CIO.com. And there will also be an audio podcast that will be posted to Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And our next, um, our next episode of CIO Leadership Live will be April 12th, when I will be back uh, talking with uh, Clara, um, Clara Jelenkova, the CIO at Rice University. So thank you very much for joining us today, and take care.